2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Main Street Vegan. It's always a pleasure to spend this time with you on a Wednesday afternoon or whenever you happen to be listening. You know, there is a little bit of a controversy in the world of podcasts, and that is whether or not we should just act as if they're happening out of time and space so that when people listen later on, there is a sense of immediacy, or whether we're just very clear about this is when we're doing this and you're listening whenever you listen. You know, I am really big on time and space. I guess I would like to know my exact latitude, longitude, and where I am to the minute. It just feels, I don't know, more comfortable to me. And today, I especially want to let you know when it is, if you are not listening live, and that is that it is Wednesday, March the 12th, 2014. And in my part of the world, in my neighborhood, in fact, a tragic event took place a few hours ago. There was a gas line situation and an explosion. At this point, Two people are known to have lost their lives. Twenty-two um, are being treated in hospital. Some others have not been accounted for. So thoughts and prayers going to 116th and Park Avenue to everyone who was affected by this awful event. Our guest today was going to actually... Come into the city and and be in person here. But because of the explosion, he's not able to get in from Connecticut on the train. So he will be joining us at 10 past three via the telephone. And that is James Morris Hicks. And I'm just so excited to have him on. He's just brilliant. Gosh, it's fun to listen to smart people. In the meantime, I've got a couple of bits of news to share with you. You know what's difficult sometimes? To talk about animal events in the same time frame that you've talked about a tragic human event. Have you had that experience? When something awful happens that affects people, it just seems to be a cultural etiquette that we don't want to talk about animal things too because they seem to be different according to the way our cultural culture measures things and i always go back to that beautiful beautiful quotation from the jain saint mahavira who said to every creature his own life is very dear when we think about the billions of animals that are tortured on factory farms and slaughtered in the case of chickens and other poultry, even without anesthesia, it's just hard to relate to billions, but it's easy to relate to one or two or a few. Now, my daughter, Adair, many of you remember, she was my co-host when we first started doing the show. She's the co-author of Main Street Vegan, a lifelong vegan herself, and she works as a state-licensed wildlife rehabilitator, along with being a stunt performer and a hundred other things, but she has seen a lot of of really sad things, wildlife who've been harmed by other animals, car accidents, this kind of thing. But last week, a woman brought a box into the wild bird fund where Adair is on staff. And this was the first time that my daughter had actually seen what humans can do to other animals in her work as a rehabilitator, it seems that 13 baby chicks were sent through the mail, through the mail, this is perfectly legal, they were sent through the mail as if they were nothing more than styrofoam peanuts, dead of winter, put into this box on Wednesday, maybe sooner, mailed on Wednesday, arrived at, JFK from Kansas City on Friday evening. In this case, they had been sent as a prank. Yeah, there are people like that in the world, as hard as that is to believe. The woman who received them was absolutely horrified, brought them into the Wild Bird Fund, most of them looking to be dead already. They were not. They were revived for a time with warmth and and fluids. Eventually, 11 of the 13 passed away within the first three days. Two amazing little girls have survived. Their names are Kylie and Dwalin. These are from dwarfs in the Harry Potter series. And they are a testament to the fact that Life is a pretty strong force, and humans can just do some awful things. So Adair is going to come on the show two weeks from today, talk about what has happened with this in in the interim. But what I would love for you guys to know about is, number one, this is legal. It happens all the time. It happens in the poultry industry. There's going to be an upsurge in it in the next month or so as Easter is coming and people want little chicks and little bunnies for their children. They can get them through the mail. And also, all of our friends who say, well, I only eat happy chickens or happy eggs. I get them from my neighbor up the street who has these lovely chickens and isn't it quaint? Well, you know, it is quaint. Chickens are delightful, interesting, fascinating animals, but chances are your neighbor got those chickens through the mail. Any season, any time of year, this is an awful thing. So just so that you know, it's just one more thing that we can work on. Um, something else fascinating, do lobsters and other invertebrates feel pain? an article in the Washington Post. So check it out. It's called Do Lobsters and Other Invertebrates Feel Pain? The short answer is yes, which actually surprised me. But the most current research is yes, indeed. Let's just eat plants and keep things easy. And while you're there looking at blogs, can you be a low-carb vegan? You can. And that is on the MainStreetVegan.net blog this week. Take a look and stay with us through these messages and we will be back with our special guest, J. Morris Hicks, author of Healthy Eating, Healthy World.
1: What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Amazon.com or your favorite bookseller. Are you saying to yourself, I'm going to focus on me starting Monday or right after the holidays or on my next birthday? Well, we are here to say, don't wait another moment. Your health is the most important gift you have for yourself and those you love. Start now to become a more vibrant, healthy human being. Take that critical first step and join us every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central on Awaken to Your Best Health, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm going to be bringing on our wonderful special guest in just a minute. But first, because I know a lot of you are interested in food, I need to tell you what we would have had for lunch had today's guest been able to make it into Manhattan. So... We would have started with Caesar salad and the ranch dressing from Jennifer Kornbleet's wonderful book, Raw Food Made Easy for One or Two People. And then we would have meatloaf, which is a kind of meatloaf, just like I grew up on back in the Midwest. And that is from Jennifer Raymond's wonderful book, The Peaceful Palette, And something so sweet happened today when I was looking in that cookbook. I saw that my daughter, back when she was, I don't know, 10 or 11, had written on the pot pasta primavera recipe in pencil. Good. And that was so nice because she's all grown up now and it's sweet to remember the olden days. Now, it's topped with a spicy barbecue sauce that I made myself. Are you impressed? I'm impressed because I don't usually do things like that But I just looked online, vegan barbecue sauce, although I guess it's all vegan, but it's really, really good. Lots of vinegar and molasses and yummy sweet and sourness. We would have had broccoli with Dijon mustard sauce and Jennifer Cornbleet's wonderful chocolate mousse, which is also the final recipe in Main Street Vegan. So doesn't that sound good? But you know what? Because we didn't have a guest for lunch and life is busy, I just had the chocolate mousse. But that's okay, because the wonderful thing about raw desserts is they're actually real food. So it was basically walnuts and dates and a little slavery-free chocolate, quite delicious, and giving me all sorts of energy to go on with this day and do this show and talk with someone that I am so fascinated by J. Morris Hicks. Now, I learned about this author, this this activist, this humanitarian from Mary Lou Henner because James Hicks has as a claim to fame, one of many, that he was the first repeat guest on Mary Lou's wonderful radio show. So he comes very highly recommended. A former executive vice president with Ralph Lauren in New York. Jim has always been what he calls a big picture guy, an active public speaker. The title of his primary message is simple and compelling Food, Health, Planet, Our Future as a Species. In two thousand and two, he became curious about the optimal diet for humans and started an intensive study that led him to explore a much bigger picture than he ever imagined. He made startling discoveries along the way. He's a board member of the T. Colin Campbell Center for Nutrition Studies, holds a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering and an MBA from the University of Hawaii. His book is Healthy Eating, Healthy World and he now focuses on public speaking, wellness consulting, and he's published over 800 articles on his wonderful blog in the past three years. Please welcome Jay Morris Hicks. How are you? Thank
3: you, Victoria. I'm good. Well,
2: it is a pleasure to have you on. So I just talked about who you are, but why don't you talk about who you are and how the plant-based lifestyle has become such a passion in your life?
3: Well, let me go back to 2002, which, which was when I became curious about the optimal diet for humans, and it was primarily for, for health reasons, although I didn't have any health issues at the time. I just got curious, and that's another long story in itself. But I got online, and I started uh, doing some Internet searches, finding some books, and, and uh, over the first six months of 2003, I probably read 30 or 40 books primarily about health, And I had concluded by that point that the whole food plant-based diet, as espoused by Campbell and Esselstyn, was probably the optimal diet for humans, but I hadn't learned a great deal about the impact on the environment. And over the same weekend in May, I think it was um, Memorial Day weekend 2003, I read two books, Diet for a New America by John Robbins and Mad Cowboy by Howard Lyman. And those two books focused a great deal on the environmental impact of of our food choices, and it it led me to have what I have since referred to as my blinding flash of the obvious when I said, oh, my God, we're eating the wrong food. We as a species, human beings, particularly in the Western developed world, are eating the wrong food, and it's wreaking havoc with not only our health but our environment. And only recently have I been... have I finally connected the dots and said, you know what, what's really in jeopardy here is our future as a species. So um, my background is is industrial engineering, as you mentioned, and and a business executive. And I've always liked to look at the big picture. And and when I look at at this whole thing and I realize that our food choices are driving the chronic disease trends we see around the world, our out-of-control cost of health care, water scarcity, soil erosion, deforestation, species extinction, ocean dead zones, world hunger, needless suffering of billions of animals, and the elephant in the room, which is climate change. And I guess it's, I feel like my skill set as a as an engineer and a business person enabled me to kind of sort through all, that vast amount of information and try to make it a, a simple message for the for the rest of the world, and that is, um, we we simply, you know, we we have a huge interconnected complex problem out there. But the solution is refresh refreshingly simple, and you talk about it every week on your show. It's two words: it's whole plants, and that's that's what I'm working on in various different ways.
2: Well, you're working on it in remarkable ways, and we'll get into some of those. But why? Oh, why is such a hard sell. Why are we this little, tiny, fledgling, fringy group? I know we've grown and we're much more respected than we were 10 years ago or 30 years ago when I started, but it is so simple. Why aren't people waking up more quickly?
3: Well, that's a real good question, and Dr. Campbell and I have been discussing it almost every time we've spoken for the last several years, and we've begun referring to it as the protein myth. And the protein myth is the belief, the, the sincere belief, by 90% of the people in the Western world, maybe more, that truly believe that we need, need to eat some animal protein to be healthy. And your listeners probably know that we don't need to eat animal protein, but. When you go in restaurants around the world, or you, you even in the, the the doctors of the medical doctors, the nutritional scientists, even all over the world, um, people are believing that we need to eat meat. And Dr. Campbell mentioned a great deal about about the complex system that's in place in his book, first book, the China Study. And he talked a great deal more about that system in his second book, Whole, Rethinking the Science of Nutrition. And basically there's just this huge interconnected um, group of organizations from from medical schools, pharmaceutical organizations, the USDA, the elected officials, the food companies, the media, scientists. They're all interconnected, and they basically all work together to maintain the status status quo. And Dr. Campbell, nor I believe that there's any kind of, you know, conspiracy here, it's just kind of the way it all developed, that uh, people started eating and liking meat and cheese, and this whole protein myth got got going there, probably um, sponsored a great deal by the food companies that were producing those products, and uh, however it all happened, we we know that that we have now concluded that um, the protein myth is simply not true, and the things that are happening that are driven by that protein myth are basically beginning to threaten our future existence as a species. Mm. And what could be more important than that to the human race than our continued existence as a species
2: Well, you would think so, and I know that we're going to be getting into some of the environmental issues as well. So when you look at groups like Greenpeace and and the Sierra Club, are are they influenced by the protein myth too? Is that why they're not speaking out on this?
3: Um, Well, yes, they are. I mean, I think people in all walks of life, the most intelligent, the most educated I think throughout the Western world or the developed world, where, where most of the meat, is, meat, dairy, eggs, and fish are being eaten, I think that, um, that it's a widespread belief, and it's believed to be a truth. And so in terms of those groups, um, I recently heard Michael Pollan respond to that same question. And uh, it was actually an interview that's, that's in a documentary that hasn't been released yet, I can't reveal the name of that documentary, but I I did listen to it, and um, they asked him. They said, "Well, we've recently discovered that uh, that the number one cause of climate change is um, is basically livestock, meat, dairy, eggs, and fish in our diet." And so they asked Michael Pollan, "Why is it that?" the organizations, the large environmental organizations around the world with millions of members, why is it that the organizations that we trust most to be taking care of our planet, why do they not tell us about the leading cause of global warming, water scarcity, soil erosion, deforestation, et cetera, et cetera? And Paulin said quite simply, he said, well, I think they they focus grouped it and decided that um, it would be a political loser to be identified as anti-meat, and and therefore it would be detrimental to their fundraising activities. Well, I I think it's I, I actually think it's probably more of the protein myth than it is that last part of the question. I just I believe that they too are are uninformed about the real causes of all these environmental problems. And and that those causes have been kind of hidden by uh, government organizations like the FAO of the United Nations, uh, who are largely controlled by by people who raise meat or have raised meat all their life. So uh, you're going to probably ask me what we're going to do about this eventually, but I'll let you let you ask ask the questions.
2: Oh well, that's a good one. Why don't you go with that?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, there's some tipping points that are being predicted by scientists when it comes to climate change and that's why i said that's that's the elephant in the room because once we hit the tipping points of climate change and it's being predicted to be in the next 3 to 5 years so let's let's give ourselves 5 years so let's say in in 2019 if we don't if we don't have some if we don't change the slopes of some of these curves that are, that are driving climate change don't change the trends or reverse the trends then the the climate change prediction for the future is is not going to be the 2% centigrade that that all the world leaders want to keep the climate change below it's going to be more like 6 or 8 degrees centigrade in which case you know sea levels could rise by ten ten to twenty feet. Uh, every coastal city in the world would be partially underwater um, and in order to to change something that quickly you, you, i I know from experience as a business person and just being a guy that's as old as I am that that things things change slowly when they follow the no- normal course of events particularly when you're dealing with uh elected officials and, and governments and and companies that have special interests and have money at stake. And therefore I think I think and I'm I I believe it more every day that what is needed is a massive global awareness campaign that is basically um, produced, promoted and um And features one of the world's, one or more of the world's powerful leaders. Uh, In the past six months, I've reached out to a couple of those leaders. One is James Cameron and his wife Susie, the movie director of Avatar and Titanic.
2: Yeah, we know you got them to change their diet. That's impressive.
3: Well, no, I didn't get them to change their diet. Uh, uh, A friend of theirs. Uh, got them to watch Forks Over Knives in spring of 2012 and, and they um, they changed their diet that night and ah. haven't eat eaten. Well, the so, uh, we did, we, you did it. <laughs> well, no, I I, um, I basically planted the seed for, for Jim and Susie to host a plant-based summit in um, November of this past year, 2013, at his Santa Barbara ranch and we talked about this very issue that we're talking about today. How are we going to get this this word out around the world? And so things are going on behind the scenes there that I, I can't really talk about. But we need more than one leader to do it. Jim Cameron's got a full-time job making three sequels to Avatar. Uh, so I reached out a few weeks ago to another a world leader, uh, Ted Turner, and I haven't uh, spoken with him yet, but I had a nice meeting with his daughter. And if you go on his website at tedturner.com, and look under newsroom, one of my blogs is about the third story down. It's called uh, "Living in Harmony with Nature" by Ted Turner. That's what I titled that that particular one. but um, so what is that leader going to do? Uh, let's say Let's say Ted Turner, who is renowned for basically telling it like it is, has no fear and has a probably more love for the environment than any any living person. Gave one billion dollars of his personal wealth to the United Nations, but the man is getting you know a bit older than I am, and maybe maybe he he will not step forward and do this. But let's say he did. Well, some of his best friends are people like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. Uh, he would also call out all of these um, environmental groups. Once once Ted became enlightened and understood that the number one drivers of these problems. That we're facing are simply what we eat. Now, here's a man that owns a chain of restaurants called Ted's Montana Grill, featuring bison, uh, beef, chicken, fish—you name it. Um, but but he's like he's in the the ninety percent that that basically believes that that's a healthy diet. And so, but if but if Ted were to were to really get on board, you know, how much money would it take to to basically have a global massive global awareness campaign? that we could get the the truth out about food to the top 2 billion people in the world, and those are the people that are eating over 80% of the meat, dairy, eggs, and fish, or the wealthiest 2 billion people. And we would hire a a gigantic PR firm, advertising firm, and we would spend a lot of money, and we would have people like Bill Clinton, who's who's a vegan, as we all know, and we'd have Mary Lou Henner and all kind of celebrities and, and people like Ted Turner basically getting real serious about telling everybody this message. How much would that cost? Well, i put it like this. It, how much can be managed? I mean, it, it really doesn't matter how much it costs if what's at stake is our, is our sustainability as a species. So I see where we just spent $50 billion dollars on the on the Sochi Winter games, that's what it costs to produce those games. So what if we spent $100 on a hundred billion dollars on on a massive global awareness campaign so that everybody would be hearing this message re- repetitively you know several times a week, if not more? How many times would they have to hear it before they believed it? Well, that depends on on the messenger and the credibility and of the of the data et cetera
2: and you'd have to but it I up believe with some that, really good food. <laughs> Because yeah, I'm so and, afraid to change.
3: But its the of all of the drivers of global warming or all of the environmental problems for that matter, the, uh, and, I, and I call it uh, there's several problems. We have we have too many people, there's an overpopulated world. We're consuming way too much stuff and the way we live and the way our economy works, the way we travel, work, play, etc um, needs to change eventually. But the, the big elephant in the room here, the single biggest driver of global warming is what we eat, and any individual can change that 100% overnight, just like I did, just like James Cameron did, just like my son did, and, and hundreds of other people that I know. And with that, with that kind of message going directly to the consumer without being filtered by all of the politicians and food companies involved, I believe there's a way out of this mess, and as a grandfather of six children, I um, I think it's my my role to do all I can to to correct the problems that have that have basically were given birth during my lifetime and um, and spread around the world to to have the the situation that we 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 are in today.
2: Now, we're just two minutes from break, but I want to back up a little bit and just ask you a basic environmental question before we even get to the food part of it. There are plenty okay. of people who don't believe that climate change is happening or that, if it is, that human activities have anything to do with it. How do we get to that massive population?
3: Well, that's that's got to be part of the... A massive global awareness campaign as well and and that's a really tough one because first of all it's been called global warming for so long that it's hard to switch and cl- call it climate change because when you call something global warming and we have a winter like we did this winter in new york and uh, connecticut you know people start laughing and say so much for global warming it's cold outside well that's got nothing to do with the science and the science the top scientists in the world, there, there is really no debate among them about global warming. There's a lot of uh, parties out there, oil companies in particular, that are funding campaigns to discredit all of that information, and they get a, a spokesman here and there and a scientist, and, and they create this confusion. So there's a lot of confusion out there, and I think the only way it's going to change is is if some really powerful leader, Bill Clinton could do it, but Bill Clinton won't do it because if, if for no other reason Hillary could not get elected president in 2016 if Bill Clinton came out as the vegan evangelist of the world, <laughs> just would not happen.
2: I've often thought now that he has gone plant-based and also Al Gore. If they had been eating the way they do now when they were running for president and vice president, would we have ever had that glorious Clinton era? I don't think so
3: they wouldn't have been elected and and if and if he'd come out as a vegan during office i think he would have been impeached
2: what monica could opposition... kale can that's <laughs> right is, i think so <laughs> this is fascinating absolutely fascinating if you would like to join this conversation the number is 888-558-6489 and we'll be back right after these messages
1: daily word inspiration and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy prosperous and meaningful lives
0: my mind and body are in an ongoing conversation my body responds to my thoughts and my mind continually receives messages from my body especially when something is out of order however i am more than mind and body i am created in the image and likeness of god I am first and foremost spirit. As I bring my spiritual awareness into the conversation between mind and body, I keep myself in balance. I know my body and its needs. I nurture it with food and water, rest and exercise. I also send an affirmation of life and renewal to every cell of my being. With spirit-centered thoughts, words, and actions, I claim my true identity as a whole and healthy expression of God Mind,
2: body,
1: and spirit. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. If I were brave, I'd walk the razor's edge, Where fools and
0: dreamers dare to tread And never lose faith
1: How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests we'll share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
0: To do what we secretly dream.
1: Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us today. We are having one heck of a conversation with an absolutely fascinating guest. J. Morris Hicks, author of Healthy Eating, Healthy World. And his website is initials. What what's it's HP Now those are the first letters of Harmony Project and his initials, J Morris Hicks, H P J M H dot com. Check it out. The blog is sensational. The book recommendations, there's also some information there from other people that you admire, T. Colin Campbell, uh, Dr. John McDougall. It's really a terrific site, so do check that out. And also, I just want to say thanks to everybody who's listening. We got our stats for 2014 thus far. Oh, my goodness a lot of people are listening to this show. I'm just so, so grateful to each and every one of you. Thanks to everybody who listens, to everybody who's given us a nice review and five stars on iTunes. The more help that we have from you in that way, the more we can get the word out with wonderful guests like we're having today, Jay Morris Hicks. So, Jim, we were talking about climate change, and I know that A statistic that so many of us were quoting very proudly was that 2006, I believe, a United Nations study, Livestock's Long Shadow, that stated that animal agriculture caused more in terms of global warming gases than all transportation combined, and then all of a sudden that was not accurate anymore. What do you know about that? Is that still a good stat?
3: Well the stat that you talk about was uh, was 18% and it compared to the all of transportation was 13%. So it was like 40% greater than than all of transportation combined and and was therefore the leading human induced cause of greenhouse gases. Well that report came out in 2006 in in 2009 Two uh, uh, climate experts from the World Bank, who later became friends of mine, colleagues Robert Goodland and Jeff Anhang, had a study published, had a paper published on the World Watch Institute uh, website. It's called Livestock and Climate Change. What if the key factors in climate change are cows, pigs, and chickens? And their data showed at that time um, because of under, uncounted, and undercounted aspects of the FAO UN estimate in livestock's long shadow, they uh, they have eight different categories of of undercounting the effects of livestock, and rather than 18, they concluded that the greenhouse gas percentage caused by humans from livestock was over 51 percent and so that means it's larger than all other causes combined now that's a number you know when you start talking about specific numbers i like to use things like it's over 40 percent or it's over 50 percent rather than it's 51.6 percent because there's no way to to totally totally determine exactly what it is because of so many assumptions but when you talk about something that's over 51% of the causes, then you're not ever gonna solve that problem if you don't work on that number one cause. As an, industri- as an industrial engineer and a businessman, I know that. Now, fast forward here. Uh, since since that number came out, their 51% number, the FAO went back and the and the, the beef industry that kinda controls it, and they re- re-looked, revisited the livestock long shadow numbers and they lowered it down to like, uh, 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 they lowered the, the uh, livestock percentage from 18 to like 14. Now it's still higher than, than all of transportation, but, but they, they lowered it, and we suspect that there was some wrongdoing. People within the FAO that are not part of, that are not connected with the livestock portion of the FAO say that the numbers that are produced by the livestock group in the FAO are not to be believed because of special interests that are represented. So what can we do about that? Well, I mentioned Robert Goodland and Jeff Anhang. Uh, Unfortunately, Robert Goodland passed away in December, and Dr. T. Colin Campbell and I attended his memorial service two weeks ago on February 27th in Washington, D.C., uh, where I met Jeff Anhang, who was also there. And since that remor- memorial service, where I also met Lester Brown and a few other people, um, we are now working on an initiative where Jeff Anhang can be a part of a group of scientists uh, that, that, that have no bias toward toward livestock for, for or against it, but are just pure scientists. And we're... Talking in fact, I have a conference call tonight with Jeff to talk about getting funding for a project that would include scientists from Oregon State, Columbia University, George Washington University, perhaps. This is all in just the kind of planning stage right now. But James Cameron, for example, would like to have a bullet pr- bulletproof report that you that we could really lean on that was produced by unbiased scientists. So. That's what we're working on. It's, it's a huge issue, and I think, it's, I think it's the biggest issue in the history of humankind because it, more than any other factor, threatens our future because it exacerbates all the other environmental problems, whether it be water scarcity, uh, deforestation, soil erosion, uh, species extinction. All of those things are exacerbated by climate change.
2: And this is so fascinating that when you meet 100 people who are vegans or who eat plant-based food, you probably find 51 who do it for their health, 49 who do it for the animals, and one who does it for the environment. Why do you think that is?
3: Well, I I, I think that uh, goes back to, the, the I guess, the protein myth. But um, in my case, I did it for... For health initially, and because I, I I didn't have while I didn't have any health issues, I wasn't overweight, I didn't have diabetes or anything. I just uh, realized that we were eating the wrong food. But uh, but now I don't think anybody's ever really really gone out and, and enlightened the public as to the truth that we're talking about. I mean, let's face it: with if if Sierra Club is not going to tell their several million members, the leading cause of global warming, uh, how are they supposed to know that they should change? So, you know, it's a simple matter of people just not knowing. And the, the, some of the people who do know are, um, have, have money in the game in terms of they have uh, special interest that would be compromised if, they, if everybody stopped eating meat, dairy, eggs, and fish uh, in a rapid manner.
2: This is true, and I'm just so inspired by all of the people who are speaking up on their blogs and in, in their workplaces. This was something I wanted to ask you about too, Jim. One of the many things that you do is corporate wellness consulting, and I know that the healthcare costs are, are a huge issue. So tell us what you do in that context and also what our listeners who work in corporations and various companies can do to get their own workplaces healthier.
3: Well, uh, I wish I had a had a great story to tell you. Uh, we did. My, my my son and I did make a formal presentation to a company that has um, um, uh, about a hundred billion dollars sales, a large company. In fact, Walmart has uh, is, is the world's largest company has the largest health care bill. I've also sent letters to the CEO of Walmart, Costco, CVS Pharmacy. Uh, Kroger, Ford Motor Company. Uh, I've got a very well thought out plan for how to do this uh, drawing from my skills as a management consultant and a businessman and it's all—it's on my webpage. uh, There's a blog entitled Slashing the Cost of Healthcare in Businesses Uh, and if anybody wants to see it, you can Google Slashing Cost of Healthcare Morris Hicks. Put Morris Hicks behind anything you say and some of my stuff is going to come up. Um, so what I'm saying is we've thought it all out, and I'm prepared to – I've got a team put together. Um, some of the people from Neil Barnard's group, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, I made it my business to get to know some of them in the Northeast so that I could produce a project team that could go in and help help these companies um, turn their health care costs around. Because that, that's one group of people that has a financial incentive for people to, to eat a healthier, healthier diet, and that's the CEOs or the stockholders of, of companies, because it, it's such a huge cost of uh, doing business these days.
2: Well, Jim, I just think you could do so much good in the world if you weren't so shy. That's yes,
3: <laughs> that's that's been that's been a problem. People I'm constantly being told I'm too shy.
2: <laughs> oh, I I love it. I, I love that yes. how you're reaching out and all that you're doing. Now you have another exciting project and that's called Plantrition. Well what's that all about?
3: Yes, plantrician. Well, this is something my friend Susan Benegas and I have been talking about for several years now. When we concluded, you know, with this protein myth thing, um let's say let's say those numbers you quoted a while ago were with 30, 30, thirty 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 uh, people wanted to switch for for diet for health reasons animal reasons and and uh, environmental reasons and so they go to their doctor and say they want to become vegan and the chances are nine out of ten that the doctor the medical doctor is not going to encourage them so that's the first group of people that where we need to dispel the protein myth. And we, this, this, uh, this organization is now up and running. Uh, we haven't got the formal website for the for the entity yet, but we have the website for the second annual international plant-based health care conference that will be held in San Diego on September seventeen through twenty. And you can read all about that at PBNHC. That's Plant Based Nutrition Healthcare Conference dot com, but it's just five letters, PBNHC. And so this is the first step, um, just one of many of our multifaceted plans to reach the physicians of the world, starting mostly in the United States, but also. Um, at the first healthcare conference held last year in Naples in October, there were there were people from all over the world, and I think there were six or eight from Australia, and and many countries were represented. But this is where we have Colin Campbell on the podium along with Esselstyn, and this year Barnard and McDougall. Dean Ornish is coming this time. The three doctors or the three experts that influenced Bill Clinton to change his diet were Dean Ornish, Caldwell Esselstyn, and T. Colin Campbell. And they will all be speaking at this year's conference in San Diego. They also were all three at at the James Cameron Plant Based Summit in back in in November, and I got to meet uh, Dean Ornish for the first time. He had he had endorsed my book, but I'd never met him.
2: Yeah, he's so great. So Plantrition is
3: uh, is basically to to help equip, educate, and equip and empower physicians of the world to get really serious about helping their patients promote health as opposed to managing disease. And what we're calling it is if, if you're interested in true health care reform, then we gotta start focusing on prevention and promoting health and not on managing disease with with procedures and medication.
2: Absolutely. And I look forward to the time when we won't be able to name all of our doctors on the fingers of two hands. And last week we talked about uh, VegDocs.com. So anybody out there who is looking for a physician who is plant-based or amenable to your being plant-based, check out VegDocs.com, V-E-G-D-O-C-S. Now, I'm going to tell you a Dean Ornish story, Jim, because I've known Dean Ornish for, whoa, uh, 25 years Oh, heavy. When he yeah, when he was a little boy, he had a nanny, an African American nanny that he loved very much, and he was raised Jewish and there was no pork in the home, but he wanted to get this nanny that he cared about so dearly a wonderful wonderful present. So he saved his money and bought her a ham. And I thought, what a sweet story that the person who showed that by not eating ham and beef and pork and cheese, etc., we can reverse heart disease, came from such a place of love. He came to this originally through yoga, that even as a little child, he was coming from a place of love when it seemed like giving his nanny a ham was the most loving thing to do.
3: Yeah. I like that story. Yeah, that's, that's a great story.
2: In our final minute... Jay Morris Hicks, what do you have to tell our listeners?
3: Um, well, we started out, I think, talking about my shift from thinking mainly about about health and more about sustainability, and and basically, it really doesn't matter how healthy you are if if your species is is going to uh, become extinct. Uh, there's There's a lot of information about what happened on Easter Easter Island when the people there used up all their natural resources and basically their civilization collapsed. And we have that that similar thing going today. And I would like to encourage your readers to go to HPJMH.com, and I've posted front and center on the homepage a series of seven blogs. The first one I posted after watching Dr. Campbell present on back in February, um, and I talk about nothing is more important than sustainability. Absolutely nothing is more important than that, because if we're not here to enjoy the environment, so what? And and also, I say it's it's not about saving the planet. It's about saving our future as a species, because if we were wiped out today, all 7 billion of us, the Earth would be a lot better off without us, and I hate mm. to say that but but it would quickly regenerate to a rich state of equilibrium over the next 1000 years and and it would be total back to living in harmony with nature all the well, species let, that are still on board
2: let's live in harmony with nature while we're still here this is very inspiring hpjmh.com Thanks so much for being with us, Mr. Hicks, and all listeners, and everybody be with us next week because Dr. Joel Furman. yay, eat to live, and the end of dieting, Dr. Furman will be our special guest. In the meantime, God bless you, and eat your veggies.
0: Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment.
1: This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity.
0: Pop culture is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as modern popular culture transmitted via mass media and aimed particularly at younger people. But can it be meaningful? Spiritual even? The hosts of Pop Conscious think it can be, and that it can be fun to explore, too. Milena Dawn and Stacey Macris-Ross will be your amateur cultural anthropologists, examining pop culture and spirituality every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on Pop Conscious on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.